0: The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Knowing Podcast. I'm Ciel. Hello, Allison. Hello. Hello. For the how many times has it been that we've been trying to record? Now this is the um, third.
1: Third time's the charm. We third hope. time the
0: the gods of technology have decided that um, this podcast <laughs> shall be no more. So if we uh, <laughs> like, make it like through this this episode, <laughs> <laughs> it's been really like quite bizarre. I mean, we are on satellite internet, so of course you know I'm fairly used to like internet issues, but. All of a sudden, we just keep having dropped calls and stuff. So this is the third day we've been trying to record. Um, so if you're hearing this, we have been it's successful. A miracle. So. Yes. It is a
1: miracle. How's <laughs> your side of the world there? Uh, it's it's good. Um yeah, it's tricky because it's, like, there seems to be this, like, relentless onslaught of just, like, terrible news, and I have no, to be like, honest, I'm a little bit in uh, an avoidance mode. Um, mm. It's just, like, I I don't want to run away from the pain, but I also—and mm-hmm. I don't want to bypass it, but I also—it's, it, like, I, it's so much, and it's constant, mm-hmm. and it's— mm-hmm. <sighs> I don't know. I just, I don't know what to, I don't know how to be present with it, really.
0: hmm Well, and, I mean, each of our emotional experiences ask of us to do something, right? Like, emotions have a desire. The energetic, you know, backing of emotions have a desire. Anger wants us to take action, establish boundaries, you know, react or respond in, in a in an outward kind of way generally, right? It wants us to do something. Sadness wants us to grieve. And and, and grieving generally is, is best uh, accommodated and processed with a group, right? Mm. And so right now where we're like not having contact with people, we really are not able, I mean, I know you know, people are moving to protest and stuff to to move anger out, you know, but it's it doesn't generally, I think, satisfy the need for authentic anger expression because the feedback is not there, right? It's like, okay, I'm putting my anger out, but I'm not getting change, right? that That's what it wants. Yes. That's what we want when we're in that in that state. And so I, I mean, i I don't think it's avoidance or Um, bypassing to actually recognize like is this a situation a circumstance in which a functional experience is actually even possible right Mm -hmm. and and not that we can say okay well I'm not going to have this emotional experience but maybe I'll add in there too and I think you and I have talked about this quite a bit Allison that if you look at the history of human species for 250,000 years, we took in a very small amount of data, a very small amount of information, awareness about, you know, the rest of the world. And I'm not advocating for a return to that, but we have to be, I think, sensitive and kind to our biology in that, like, our brains are not particularly well constructed for taking in this much information and then not being able to do something about it a lot of Mm -hmm. the time, right? Like, What are you going to do about everyone around the world who's suffering, who you are now made cognizant of, right? Like, that's a very challenging experience. I'm not saying we can't do it, but I think we do need to be aware of like, okay, how am I working with my emotions in a functional manner? How am I taking in an amount of information that feels right for me, and that's got to be different for every person, right, based mm-hmm. on their biology and, and neurobiology mm-hmm. and just makeup, right? Um, but it has to be—it has to be something that's, I think, processed um, cognitively, because the commands that I think we often hear from our society of like you have to be involved in everything—that is not possible. And Mm -hmm. it's actually going to uh, sort of make it so that everybody's so exhausted that nothing really can work in a a functional way, right? That's not beneficial.
1: It's tricky though, because it's like, and it's for every person, I guess, to evaluate within themselves. But there is part of me that it's like, how much of this is me truly not being able to do something about it, even if that something is small, mm-hmm. and how much of this is a resistance to doing hard things, as you often say, where mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. how do you know mm-hmm. when the balance is like, oh, I actually don't have a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, power here versus yeah. like, actually, I could, but it's hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I guess that in order to be able to discriminate between those, you know, sort of two potential states, it is a a sort of chicken or egg question is that this relates so intensely to our impeccability, right? Mm -hmm. Is this question of, am I showing up in the way, in the manner that is absolutely right for me in this moment? And, you know, when we engage with impeccability, we know that it's going to change from moment to moment, from day to day, from year to year, you know, how we show up impeccably today is going to be different from when we are 80, right? Mm -hmm. And so, In order to get to impeccability in in shamanic practice, we have to get to know the self, like really fully get to know what am I hiding from myself, you know, where, what level of awareness am I operating from, what am I afraid of, what am I resistant to, you know, and, and that, like, if we don't do that work we'll always be confused as to whether or not we are being impeccable or not, right? We we don't mm-hmm. have that inner feedback system that goes, no, Allison, this is as much as you can do today, right? Mm-hmm. And and so when we do spend time getting to know ourselves, we will eventually get to that point where you'll go, no, this is, this is what's right for me today. And all of these external voices telling me that I should do more or less or whatever matter not at all because mm. it is my own inner connection to self that in this moment this is right for me and i mean the way that we know that that we are being impeccable there is no guilt there is no regret there is no shame there is no doubt we just are
1: doing what is right for us in this moment right makes sense mm. so if you feel guilty that's automatically not impeccable
0: it depends on if you can actually find a specific target that was um, in your behavior that is worthy of you making amends for. If that is actually the case, if, if you can find something that you did where you're like, I really messed that up and now I need to make amends for it, guilt is absolutely functional and super beneficial, right? It It's necessary. But if it's just like, paralyzing guilt where you can't do anything about it you actually because again guilt wants you to do something all mm. of our emotions they want us to do something right and so if we're not doing something then we we can be damn well sure that we've engaged with a toxic form of that emotion right mm. and so yeah. it's it's not it's not a it's not a functional process anymore it's something that is like is stuck or or hasn't hasn't been able to process well yes so so I think that, you know, often when people are trying to figure out if they're doing the right thing in the world, we naturally, um, and I think just habitually, look outside of ourselves for guidance, right? And this is the significant difference between shamanic practice and, say, I I don't know, other, other systems of like, say religion where you're generally encouraged to do what's what's good for the group um perhaps shamanic practitioners and especially tricksters are often accused of being antisocial <laughs> because we're like no it is it is your process and how you relate to yourself that is the most fundamental this doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to the impact that we have in the larger sphere but it's this idea that if you're just emphasizing what other people think of your behavior or what you think you should be doing based on what other people are doing, you're never actually going to be filling the Allison size hole in the ecosystem that is waiting for you to do what your gifts are kind of programmed
1: to do, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And I actually feel like a little synchronicity. I'm, I'm on this, um, What the what is the John Mulwood book you had me get? Um, oh, um, Path of Awakening, is that the, the Yes, the, the Psychology of yeah. Awakening,
0: right? Psychology of Awakening, um, yes. So I'm on so that. Good.
1: Yeah, It's so good. And I feel like this is kind of like coinciding with what you're saying, which is essentially him talking about the personality as path and using the personality as a tool for awakening, enlightenment, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that it makes me curious, and it's something that, I feel like you've also kind of shared with me from a shamanic lens, which is that it's like every shadow aspect has a gift with it. And so when we go do soul retrievals, things like that, it's um yeah. we're we're also bringing back gifts. And I'm really curious, like there's like the big shadow stuff like guilt, anger, and things like that. But I find like, I'm curious about the gifts of the little shadow stuff, like scarcity. That one's been coming up for me a lot. Um, Mm. And, you know, like just like little, like people pleasing, nagging fear, that kind of stuff that it's like, okay, if we are to say that our demons really aren't demons, um, what, what do you think are kind of like the gifts that go with what, if that makes sense?
0: Mm. So it, I find it interesting um, that you would place uh, any sort of projections related to scarcity in the, in the small group, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Listen. like I'm, I would think of those as, I mean, fundamentally, all of our projections, all of our disowned self when you when you follow the sort of roots of of those patterns deep enough you come into contact with the core shame of our basic existence, right? And I mean, as is called original sin or whatever in in, in different belief systems, this idea that like something is fundamentally wrong with me, mm-hmm. that branches into, well, that must mean that the universe doesn't love me. That branches into, well, that must mean that I'm not wanted here and that therefore I need to change myself in order to belong. And that branches into, well, that must mean that the, the world around me is dangerous and it's not receptive to my basic goodness and so I... I need to hate things outside of myself, right? Do you see mm-hmm. how it sort of like morphs and yeah. changes into different kind of ways of being? It is it is all the same lie. It's when you get down to the root of it, it is all the same idea that I do not belong in this place. Mm-hmm. And and therefore, I need to fix myself for change or whatever, or judge other people for also not belonging, right? Right. So, uh, I mean, let's go into it and maybe use a specific example. So, Give me an example of how you might uh, come across like an awareness of of say scarcity shadow projection um, when you're interacting with people, or has this happened for you recently?
1: Mm. With uh, I guess with the the example that came to mind wasn't necessarily relational, or at least not how I can see it yet. But I think that there's there's part of me that I feel like I feel so lucky to have had work. During this pandemic, that mm. I want, I, like I feel like I need to work all of the time because I'm afraid, like mm. if I have somehow, if I somehow don't utilize it, then I'll use it. And I've been so lucky to have the work anyway. So I'm finding like a lot of. Uh, so my scarcity is kind of showing up in terms of like resources. If I slow down, mm. the money will run out, and also mm-hmm. this kind of like. Um, e- Yeah, I guess I'll stop there. I'll stop there.
0: So the way that we can tell pretty distinctly and immediately that we're engaging with a a shadow process or a shadow experience is is we'll judge in other people a behavior that we have disowned in ourselves. Is that happening for you? Like, do you judge, uh, you know, so-called laziness or an inability to show up or whatever in other people right now?
1: Mm, that's a
0: good Not to put you on the line, like, just just disclose how much you're judging other people yeah, right. for a large audience of people, so that they can judge you.
1: Okay, ready? Exactly. Just kidding. Like, well, I hate everyone equally. Does that count? Um, no.
0: I'll tell. I'll tell afterwards what I judge in people, and we can all feel really good. Um,
1: what What am I judging in people? Um, that's a hard one because I don't know that I can see it clearly as it relates to scarcity I mean I think yes of course we're judging people all the time I am judging people all the time I'll own that um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that it isn't like a. oh man it to me it doesn't feel like a comparison of like oh look at those lazy people I think in okay. some ways it's like oh my god look at all these people suffering who don't have the options that I have um, right. so don't waste it like don't squander it because it can go just like that so it it doesn't feel like judgment it just feels like I I can really see the pain and and I don't I want to avoid that and I I I don't know I don't want to lose lose it you know
0: totally and and that's all it's it is a a perfect set of clues, in a sense, to lead us to where the healing actually needs to happen. You know, and it's an important question to ask when we're when we're you know wanting to work on ourselves or whatever we want to call this process, um, come into greater clarity and awareness and, and alignment within our experience. Is you know asking these questions? Is is there judgment here? I mean, there's there's going to be an immediate um, kind of awareness of yes or no, and if there's not. As in this circumstance, Allison, I don't think this actually has anything to do with scarcity. I think mm. it's a distraction for you, where your brain is telling you that story because that's a kind of comfortable and familiar one of like, mm. "Oh, I'm not going to have enough money or or whatever I need to put pressure on myself. but it's it's like it's keeping you away from a a, f- uh, a more meaningful awareness of some other emotional state that you're more uncomfortable with. Mm. You're comfortable with scarcity, right? True. This is, you know, you and I were talking about, sorry, the, right? But you and I were talking about that um, post you put up about internalized capitalism, right? Do you still yes. have it? I, sorry, I should have
1: asked you before, but let me see if I can find it um, and also not disrupt our connection. So I'm going to try to look mm-hmm. on my iPad. Um Okay. Because it,
0: you know, I, I do think that it's really important to look at the programming that we all received in a Western civilization around, you know, ideas, um, how to judge ourselves or how to show up in the world, how to work, how to value ourselves, right? And mm-hmm. and yes, a lot of them emerged from capitalism and that, that post that you had, you know, had a fairly um, concise outline of them. But... I think it's really important to ask and recognize that all of our behaviors have a benefit. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them, yes. right? And usually the benefit is that we get to avoid something that we are more uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. right? So we say, oh, okay, I get to feel scarcity. Well, that's familiar. You know, It's it seems like a really bad thing. But if you keep chasing down the scarcity rabbit hole and go, oh, I'm going to find something down here that's meaningful, I don't think that that's the, the terrain you want to explore, actually. I mean— If I was working with a client, I'd say, well, okay, let's look at these other things. Like, you brought up guilt. Mm -hmm. You brought up a sense of, like that maybe you you owe something or like that you have something that other people don't have, right? And mm. that's probably far more uncomfortable than feeling a state of scarcity and going, work, 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 right? Does right. that make sense? It does make sense.
1: I, I also found the the post if we want to Oh good go will through. you read it? Yes. So I found this from Facebook. I can't credit who is the originator, unfortunately. Um so it says internalized capitalism looks like feeling guilty for resting. Check. Your self-worth mm-hmm. is largely based on doing well in your career. Check. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> placing productivity before health. Believing that hard work equals, equals happiness. Um, mm-hmm. Feeling lazy even when you're experiencing pain, trauma, or adversity. Check for me there. Mm-hmm. And using busyness as a way to avoid your needs.
0: Yeah. And I mean, all of that is true. Absolutely. And all of those things can be programmed into us. But just because I am provocative and play this role, you know, what does capitalism give us? Because that is, you know, framing it as, oh, we are somehow having to subscribe to this system and all it does is make us feel bad about ourselves. But it also, if we wouldn't do it if it doesn't give us something. What does it give us?
1: Oh, my. I like the, you're making me have an argument for capitalism? <laughs> <That's> rude. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay. <Yeah.
0: laughs> um. It's like, hey, I'd like you to argue on the on behalf of white supremacy, please. And go tell me why it works. Sorry. Oh my god. But it really like capitalism. We don't engage in something unless it gives us something. That you know we do want, and generally that's an unconscious thing that we want, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, by bringing it into consciousness, then we can find alternate ways of satisfying that need. But if we don't recognize what need is actually being satisfied, we will say, "Oh, I look at I'm this, this this system's doing this thing to me," and and we'll put energy into hating the system and resisting it, and not ever finding a solution out of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Is that? make sense to you? It does, but it's kind of like, do we want it or is that conditioning? So it's like there are things... Okay, so if I was hmm. going to make an argument for capitalism, <laughs> yep. it, it would be that it's like, okay, theoretically, um, it gives you individuality you could supposedly like you know rags to riches pull yourself up from the bootstraps and um Mm -hmm. really have this like exert your will um have some control over your life supposedly um feel the like all the things that come with success pride in yourself like i I, there are a lot of good things but Mm -hmm. to go back to your kind of um to the root cause of everything is like this true belonging. Would we need all of those things if we've actually just felt like we belonged and, and would be taken care of within the system?
0: Well, but uh, yeah, I mean, and that's a pretty in-depth existential question, you know, that I, again, I don't think that as a species we have, and I might get shot somewhere, saying this. <laughs> I don't think that we have, Fundamentally, fucked up anything by going down the path of of capitalism. I don't. I think that what you just spoke of in terms of what it offers us in individual awareness and insight and and, you know, understanding our role and and our individual experience far more fully than, you know, historical systems did where you were held by your society. It's it's not nearly as as challenging as an individual, you know, or it wasn't before, when you had that greater sense of co- cohesion and stuff. And now in this hyper individualistic world, you know, we're kind of thrown out on our own and we can say, well, this is wrong and bad, but I do think that there's a an immense spiritual and soul process at hand here where we're being asked to really grow up, quite honestly, and mm-hmm. say, okay, so how am I going to show up in my life? Because you know, if we say well, internalized capitalism does that to us. It tells us those messages, you know, of like if you rest, you're bad. Well, why are you listening? Right? You don't have to listen. We we actually don't have to say yes to an external voice that says, this is what your value is. If we have, you know, developed a, a certain amount of awareness and we're committed to the process of, of truly waking up, right? Mm. So the, the pressure, and this is, you know, a shared perspective that comes from many traditions, is that we don't do something unless we have to. Unless there's pressure and discomfort and, you know, it's like this sense of like, okay, finally, I'm going to do this right and and maybe the the pressure of this capitalistic system on our sense of self will force us into uh spiritual warriorship and really showing up in a different way whereas before we weren't really called to it in the same way Mm. does that make sense to you it does i'm just curious like the how well so that's the 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 other aspect i think of the investigation is saying okay so what are the needs if you're working like this and you're, you know, f- placing this sense of worth on how hard you work or your success in your career, mm. what are you looking for?
1: Mm. Well, I think in, in some ways, material security, like it's just like, am mm-hmm. I going to be alive? Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. <laughs> <It's> an interesting <laughs> it's, question. It's, what are it's, we looking for?
0: No, no. The question of, am I going to be alive? Oh. I mean, if it's, you know, if you're looking at it as like material success equals being alive, this is one of the things that capitalism gives us that as a species we love is that it allows us to not deal with existential questions. Mm-hmm. It gives us a false sense of security, a false sense of control yes. with like life's basic realities right mm-hmm. we are not forced to reckon with the fact that we will die probably sooner than we realize we will get sick you know everything will fall away mm-hmm. and that's what capitalism that's why we built it is because it came out of traumatized people it came out of people who were you know emerging out of the dark ages and and not able to think positively or or with gratitude towards life and so they they created a system that was all about creating a false sense of control. Yes. Right? And so it makes it so we never have to deal with the first noble truth, or we think we don't have to deal with it. It chases us every moment of every day as this, you know, ubiquitous anxiety that informs our our way of being in the world right now, right? And that, I mean, even that you would say that, Alison, is is it's it looks look, look at how intensely linked the sense of how much money I make and will that equate to me not dying or, you know, like somehow having perfect safety in the world, right? Right. Does that make sense you?
1: It does. And it's like, I I think that in some ways, Buddhism has led me to realize that that's actually what I'm trying to protect against, but I still don't know how to get totally. off the train. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like, I see I'm on the train and I can't get off yeah. of it. And, and I think that there's... um I think it's like, you know, even if you are at the point where it's like, okay, I recognize at one point I'm going to die. Everybody around me is going to die. I think that there mm-hmm. is something about like, but I don't want to contribute to the likelihood of that being soon. And and that mm-hmm. would be by me somehow being um, faulty, you know?
0: Yeah, but I think that you're... By skipping to, okay, yeah, I'm, I know I'll die, but here I want to figure out how to maybe prevent that from happening or s- control my circumstances. The, the gift and the absolute perfection of the teaching of death hasn't been given the space that, I mean, in the shamanic tradition, we say that it deserves. It is our best friend. Our most important medicine is the fact that we think, perhaps in 10 minutes I'm going to die. Mm. And so, is this thing that I'm doing right now, the thing that I want to be doing at the last minute before I pass away? Mm. And if we let that really integrate itself as a practice, and and I mean, this is what capitalism is, it's a death-denying system, and it tries to avoid the existential realities of life, and thus, nobody's ever happy right because we're chasing happiness rather than realizing that it requires first this reckoning with the realities of existence and and i mean this is one of the things i love about shamanic practice is that it doesn't run away from stuff right it doesn't try to distract or avoid or or give outs you know oh you're going to if you do this then you're going to feel better right it's like nah feel shit feel like shit right now mm-hmm. you know let it sink in fully that this is the reality of our existence and and from that generally emerges a sense of gratitude. If we really let ourselves bathe in that awareness, there's this sense of, are you okay right now, right? Mm-hmm. And that is a sane and very functional way within which, to or from which, to then step into, okay, what do I need to do next? You know, what? What is what is the sort of next step in my process? I mean, you were talking about in your process as a business and like getting a studio and stuff, like that's a beautiful step. But if it's informed by the fear and panic and avoidance of capitalism, Mm -hmm. it's going to have fear and avoidance and and panic as as an outcome, Mm -hmm. right? Is that even we can get what we want and we still feel panicked, right? Right. So until we change the informing energy, which is it has to be presence and gratitude and impeccability in order to get something different, right? Mm -hmm. You can... As as I know I've said to you, and I've probably said on the podcast before, it is not so much what we do, but why we do it and the informing energy that we take into the actions we take in the world that really determines our path. You can go get a studio with fear and panic, and you're going to have more fear and panic in right. your life. But if you take the time to actually sit with the reality that everyone you love is going to die, and you are going to die, and death is Imminent, you know. It, it, mm. like I say, I know it's a horrible thing to say, but it is true. It will happen <laughs> so much sooner than you want it to. Yes, and and that informs decent, basic, decent human behavior when we realize that you know, like if you look at your partner and think, "What if he died in a week?" Right, you will treat him so differently than if you take for granted that he's
1: always going to be there. Hmm. Really true. It changes us. But it, so, okay, so here's my question about that, because I feel like when I even sit with that for like a second of, okay, if I were to die today, am I doing the thing that I would be happy with? I think that, a lot of the things that we do on our day to day would be like, no, do I want to like plunge my toilet in the last 10 minutes of <laughs> like my life? This, I don't. That, <laughs> this, I don't want exactly. One. So I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't want to do any of this in the last 10 minutes no. of my life. But also mm-hmm. it's kind of like using that as a tool of like meeting people with love. But then there's like that paradox of like, but sometimes you do still have to to do unpleasant things. And I think that there is a tendency, at least for me, that it's like, I already talk myself out of, you know, expressing my needs in some ways. And so it's mm. like, if I'm like, well, they're going to die in 10 minutes, I definitely don't want to burden them with the stuff that I want, you know? <laughs>
0: see and i don't i guess i don't experience that personally that um the awareness of of the finite quality of our existence here and and you know how temporal everybody's existence is i think it makes me feel more honest more forthright but mm. m- having that forthrightness as informed by love as possible right Setting boundaries, you know, when we have not been taught how to set boundaries and how to say, here's what I'm not okay with in your behavior, we tend to do it in a a very, you know, activated state and it comes off aggressively and with a lot of intensity and it tends to get a lot of, you know, sort of kickback from other people, right? Right. Setting a boundary is is not as simple as just going, nah, I'm not okay with this, right? Like that Mm -hmm. can just be um kind of a, a establishing a battle with other people right mm. when we set boundaries with death awareness you know death awareness doesn't mean we flop on the couch and go i'm just going to let everything be <laughs> the way that it is it makes us i'm sorry this always makes me laugh i don't know why <laughs> uh, because i never flop on the couch <laughs> I, maybe i use that always as a like reference cuz i'm like i don't even know what that would be
1: no, like, no. I mean, like, for some reason, whenever like there's like an, a lot of explicit talk about death, and in this context, it's like I don't know if it's a nervous laughter or what, but it's like oh, oh, you're laughing sense about that. Of humor. Not about me on the couch. No, that it's just like oh. it's so dark, to just like you're gonna die, everyone's gonna die, we're all gonna die. It's and like a Monty Python really Yes, skin. it's like I'm trying <laughs> to like not laugh because I don't want to seem like an insane person. But it just, it's okay. You're totally
0: welcome to laugh my my son I, don't, I think brent was listening to something about um skit comedy and uh they had this the little bit of Monty Python from the, the Holy Grail where they're like doing the thing they're walking through a medieval village with a cart going bring out your dead bring out your dead <laughs> and the guy like have you seen this no oh fuck it's so funny he brings out this this person over his shoulders and he's like here you go and the person over his shoulders like not dead yet <laughs> and he goes you will be soon and he's like no I'm good uh, I'm happy and he's like <laughs> it just is an awful scene it's so funny but my my son heard it on this show that Bren was listening to and so constantly he's like i'm not dead yet not dead <laughs> and it's like my maybe he's my death awareness teacher all the time right now because he's you know is he talks about it constantly so you, i mean i already do think about death all the time and i do mm-hmm. think that we can if we if we really grow up, quite honestly, and deal with the realities of life and realize, like, yeah, these things will happen, we can still have lightness about it, mm. you know? Like, it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Yeah. It does not have to be a reason to hide from life. It it can and will translate into impeccable action and this, like, incredible forthrightness, mm. this incredible sense of... um oddly like safety in life you know where it's like you know that death is going to happen and that you are not so special that you get to avoid it right. and no one's coming to save you and so you start relying on your inner resources more right you're mm. not you're not looking for something outside of you to save you and that is what capitalism gives us right mm. okay the car is going to save me when I get it or you know this new pair of pants or yeah. this level of success right it is our external savior and that's what we do when we have not reckoned with existential truths is we try to find something outside of ourselves that's going to make it better.
1: Mm, Yes. There's this really incredible article, I think, on The Atlantic or something, and it's talking about James Baldwin and Buddhism and and death. And it was basically like the cause of white supremacy of everything is having a death-averse culture and that if people Mm. were willing to look at their own death, there would be no racism. And I thought that was fascinating.
0: Yes there would be like there would be happiness you know like real happiness we cannot live without an awareness of death like fully live you you cannot actually give you know the fullness of your whole being while you're still trying to avoid the this inevitable aspect of existence right mm. and the paradox is and i mean ancient civilizations all knew this right like you you bring death Forward, Not all of them, but most of them did, you know, and really emphasized the necessity of looking at death and acknowledging it and, and being aware of it so as to have this full life experience. And, I mean, it's unpleasant. And that's why, again... You know, when we are not ready to take responsibility for our own experience, we want to hand it over to capitalism and say, you know what, I just want to believe that I'm going to avoid this or I don't want to deal with this because it's really uncomfortable. And yes, capitalism also trains us into it and it's generational and, you know, your parents don't talk about it and then, you know, nobody talks about it or you don't see it or whatever, right? But that still that that benefit is still there for us, right? Where it gives us this sense that maybe I'm going to be saved or maybe this isn't going to be true for me and I don't have to actually reckon with this. But mm-hmm. it's a trap because then we're always chasing some some version of life that, you know, we've been sold or that we've been told is going to make us happy and we can never be satisfied unless we are aware of the temporal nature of our existence. Right.
1: Uh, it, there's, so it's, yeah. go ahead. It, it's, there's just so many layers. And it, cause it's like, as you say that, I think about, um, you know, immigrant families or certainly with black families, there is this kind of like really common idea, which is that you have to be twice as good to get whatever everybody else is getting. And, and that's not untrue. Um, but it is hmm. kind of like a really important it's an it's it's really challenging to actually put what you're saying into practice when there are things in the world we live in that It's kind. I think we talked about this a little bit before where it's like, you know, just because Mm -hmm. you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you type of thing. So I think that it's like, yes, how to relinquish like this victimhood and how to feel like you truly belong and feel that you're safe. But there are a lot of things that are informing you otherwise. And so it's like, how do we not believe them? I would love to not right, believe it. Right.
0: But let's talk about the the benefit, the privilege of being non-white and non-brought up in this western society is that you are more informed by wise beliefs and awareness around death practices, mm. around rituals and traditions and stuff that have been obliterated in the western world for generations, right? right. So there is an access that is potentially not available to other people, right? Mm -hmm. And in the sense of the way Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the world, you know, that people who are not so well indoctrinated into a system actually can remove themselves far more easily than the people who are so immersed that, you know, they're unable to to move because they're they're so, you know, like, imagine— incredibly rich people Mm -hmm. in this system right now, in capitalism, they don't want to get out of it because they're so entrenched and so immersed in it it that they can barely... Of course, right? But they can't see the detriment. They can't see the the lack of life because they're so doped up on pharmaceuticals that they're just like, nope, this is life and Mm -hmm. get me some more shoes, right? Mm -hmm. So for those of us who are not so immersed, because... I don't have a shitload of money, and I don't think you do, you know. <laughs> but like anybody who's not, you know, having they're not in it totally immersed in the system, actually has a privilege, mm-hmm. you know. And it is a one that maybe we should start amplifying more and talking about, rather than feeling so wronged by the system, you know. Saying, "Hey, well, where do we have something that the system doesn't have, mm-hmm. you know?" And and how do we get more of that? How do we get more of that sense of connection to nature? Right? I mean. When I, my teacher coming from South America, like, her her lineage you know is so privileged because it's so unbroken i mean she's mm. she's had teachers that they can find you know like 12 generations back or something of like this unbroken lineage of indigenous teachers mm. like that is an immense privilege that this system does not have right and we need to talk about that and and you know look at what it informs because it's what's missing right it it knows yes. what
1: this system does not know Right. Right. Because it's kind of like there's this capitalism thing again, which is like you must assimilate. Totally. Yeah. But
0: maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's a very bad idea. Right. right. We missed. And and we must not. I mean, I, I think. Um, who was it? Aristotle Socrates said, you know, the secret on on building the new is is not to focus on the old, but just like go and say, well, what needs to actually be built here? And mm. the more we try to say this system is so bad and look what it's doing to us and it's so wrong, you know, again, it it is that is not a complete answer in the sense that we are gaining something from it and it is our responsibility i think and our right and our privilege to actually say what are the needs that i am trying to find met through this system that is distorted and death denying and ultimately destructive right mm. so then we can take responsibility for our needs and that that's a big scary leap and it is hard and it's not it's not immediate right but we can do it but if we just sit here going we hate this system and yeah. this system needs to change and we try to break it down you know we're adding all of our energy to it we are giving all of our life force to it right and it is parasitic in nature it just takes it and and so how do we amplify you know the the what is beautiful in those of us who have uh, you know extracted ourselves or those of us who are not so well indoctrinated into this system and look at the wisdom of those lineages you know and they are death aware they are you know nature bound and and immersed in and and there's so much more that we can access and and amplify right yes
1: i am curious that it's like in terms of shamanic practice and you know, needing to like pay your rent and do all this other stuff that it's like, how I, I'm kind of have a suspicion that the answer is probably gratitude, but it's like, how do you find this kind of like abundance sufficiency where it's like, I don't need a ton more or more than anybody, period. But it's like, you know, if you like beauty, you like beautiful things and certain mm-hmm. kind of luxuries. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can we practice participating in this system of like, you know, bills to pay and, and I do want pretty stuff sometimes with not mm-hmm. letting it like run me. Consume us.
0: Yeah. So, yes, I mean, certainly gratitude, as I was mentioning, like when it comes to the energy, the intentional energy that we are putting into our actions and work in the world, right? Like what we're starting with is important. If we start with scarcity and lack, we tend to create, you know, or sustain that sensation and experience. So affirming that we are supported already because we are, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean part of what capitalism tells us too is is that we should think about how hard done by we are all the time. And yes, I'm not denying that like people are hard done by and there is great tragedy in the world. But Jesus, if you think about like the lives of our ancestors, you mm-hmm. know, 10,000 years ago, like that was hard. That was really hard where, you know, most of your children died before the age of five. You were probably dead by the time you were, 25 or 30, you know, you're starving most winters and then trying frantically to like sustain yourself most summers. Like mm-hmm. it was hard. Our lives are beautiful a lot of the time right mm-hmm. now. And it does not mean that there's not space for improvement. But, you know, we, we do tend to to see what's not here instead of affirming what is here. And yeah. that is really important when it comes to doing good work in the world. And the second part, you know, a big part for me that I realized in my process was, uh, I mean, what's called Aini in the, in the um, Quechua tradition which is means right relationship. Now, right relationship is is getting into reciprocity and, and that you are giving and receiving in the same amount. What we tend to focus on and what capitalism f- tells us to focus on is what are we receiving? And that is the wrong end of the equation to be placing our attention. We ask instead, what am I giving? And am I giving in alignment? And the more that we give in alignment, we do receive rewards. Now, mm. the challenge with I need, though, in right relationship is that the rewards don't always come in the form that we want them to, right? i.e., money Mm. or fame or whatever. Maybe they come in the form of, you know, gifts from nature, butterflies and things coming across our path that it's like, hey, look at this. It's so beautiful. If we want to get out of capitalism, we have to expand our currency, right? Mm. And capitalism says there's one currency and that's it. That is not true. There is so many different currencies. There is there's energy that you get from wind, from waterfalls, from butterflies, from hugs, from you know, seeing listening to beautiful music. Those those are all different forms of currency, right? And we have to reactivate our awareness of those if we're gonna get out of this system mm-hmm. that tells us no, the only way is like this back and forth through money. Okay. Now, I'm not discrediting though that like money is important and there is a very sacred practice that I think people need to take on. I needed to take on in order to have a good relationship with money around what is my relationship with money? Do I treat it like a currency that I welcome and that I have good relationship with, right? Mm -hmm. Just like the other currencies. I'm not saying once we have lots of awareness of butterflies that we're not going to care about having money, (laughs) right? We still (laughs) will care about it. But like, what is your relationship with it? It's, it's, it's like, you know, my issues with organized religion when they they take this form and they say, "Hey, human beings, you are basically bad. There's something wrong with you. Come here, we'll save you, mm-hmm. right?" But there's you're always bad. You can never actually get beyond that. And like, right. what? Like, how does? How does that make any sense? And how do we get bought into this system? And capitalism does that too. It says, you know, come over here. The only currency is money, but you're never gonna be happy. You're never actually gonna be satisfied with how much money you have. So it's yeah. like this
1: this parasitic experience, right? Mm. Yes. I mean, that. that is a tricky one. And it is probably also tied to maybe religion or organized religion, which is like, yeah. for me, my relationship with money is that I trust I will have enough, but like not a penny more because, mm. you know, God forbid I take more than what I need, it would...
0: Mm-hmm. theoretically
1: take away from somebody else and so I find myself where it's like oh yeah money comes in but do I ever feel like oh I, I can exhale because you know I have more than enough no I, I don't right. think I ever feel that right. way
0: so it it's you're gonna find a wound in there Allison which will again you know if we trace the roots it's it always goes back to this sense of like am I okay to be who I am and want what I want mm-hmm. and you know and and Even asking that question, people often say to me, well, you know, there's people who are in the world and they're taking and, and, you know, not living in any sort of semblance of integrity. And and they're asking like, well, I want to want what I want and stuff. And I just don't think that it's the same circumstances as when that question is applied or engaged with on a spiritual journey, right? Mm-hmm. That we're not going to just, as you say, you're not going to just let yourself say, I want all these things and I'm going to take it from other people. The the reality for most people is that it goes to the other side where you don't let yourself receive things at all yes. because, you know, you're pretty aware of the suffering in the world, right? And you yeah. don't want to contribute to that in some way. I I said to a client years ago, you know, that if you look at... um. Kind of what what our system is right now. We have we have cancer cells. And cancer cells within a body are cells that have forgotten that they're part of the system and they're doing whatever the fuck they want mm. and they're replicating like crazy and taking all the resources and dumping all the garbage and toxins into the system because they have forgotten that they are part of a larger body. And there are so many human beings in the world who are in that state of mind. They've forgotten that they they don't connect, that there's no sense of, of relationship with them in the world, or very minimal, right? Now, then there's the rest of the body who are kind of going oh okay maybe i won't want so much because those cancer cells are taking so much right and and we look at them and go Whoa, why can't you change your behavior but the, the biological reality of a cancer cell is the cancer cell is is afraid and it's forgotten that it's part of a system because it's been living in toxicity and so it it switches into a like a primordial kind of uh, rep- reproduction mechanism that Again, it just tells the cell like you are not part of a body. Do what you need to do. Get what you need to get done. This is not a safe environment. Go, 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 go. It's what our like ancestral cells did in anaerobic, you know, very low or very hostile environments uh, historically. Does this make sense it to you? It
1: does. It's like this is like the wetigo virus in <laughs> cellular totally. form.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the basis of capitalism is trauma. The basis of cancer is is cellular trauma in a sense where the Mm. the cell has suffered some sort of shock generally or just like a a consistent toxicity enough so that it switches into anaerobic um, uh, metabolic functions, right, instead of aerobic metabolic functions. Again, that's what you think about way, way, way back, billions of years on the planet. Um, it was actually beneficial for cells to be able to switch to an anaerobic sort of uh, reproduction cycle because there was not enough oxygen on the planet, right? And Mm so a cancer cell is a cell that's scared shitless, and it's like— Fuck it, I'm gonna act like I'm not part of this body that actually is beneficial for me to, you know, be connected to, but I've totally forgotten and I'm just gonna do my own thing, right? And that's human beings have done that too. And and there's a ton of us on the planet that have forgotten that out of trauma, out of a sense of of not feeling like we belong, right? Mm. And that's the wetico virus and the cannibalism that emerges, right? But now, cancer, I do believe can heal. Uh, and I'm not saying I believe that everyone can heal of cancer or that there's some sort of miraculous cure, because I'm pretty sure they put you in jail if you claim that. So <laughs> no one listening assume that I'm saying that I know how to cure cancer, okay? Right. Don't tell anyone. But uh, when, you know, the the rest of the cells in the body say, Mm-mm, we're not okay with this, and we're not okay with this energetic sort of um, agreement that's been established. You take all the resources and we kind of take all your garbage, Right. And they start, you know, cleaning up or doing things differently or activating and mobilizing the lymphatic system and get some attention on the cancer cells and go, wait a second, this is not okay. But spontaneous remission of cancer is not, it's not an aggressive kind of chemotherapy style attack on cancer. It's not a fuck you cancer kind of action. I really disagree with that statement of saying fuck cancer. Cancer is is a survival mechanism mm-hmm. as an aside. But um the system can spontaneously re- heal from cancer when the rest of the system remembers what what is true right it remembers its belonging it remembers its sense of connection and sense of uh, divinity and you know allows for the the receiving of resources and and steps into its its own sort of um i mean faith my professor at, at school who was a a surgeon, and he studied um, spontaneous remissions. And he said, the thing that happens in people is they all of a sudden remember because of death, you know, they're facing Mm. death. And they go, oh my God, I need to be me. That's my purpose, is being me fully. And like something clicks in them and the cancer is gone, he said. And we will do scan after scan, wow. trying to find it. And there's nothing there, right? This wow. has been sort of a, a bizarre aside, but does that make sense? It does. It's it's amazing, honestly. Yeah, it's you know, there's so much potential in us. Oh, God, there's a crying baby downstairs. She does not Uh-oh. believe in the potential. She's just, <laughs> oh, my God. She fell face first into the, uh, like, we have this little creek because all the snow is melting yesterday. And Brent oh no. was, like, outside with her, and she's just playing there. And she just went. And I'm a bad mother. I was, like, laughing. I'm like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. Because <laughs> it's, you know, it's, like, six inches deep. It's not like she's going to drown or anything. But
1: <laughs> she was <in> right. <laughs>
0: Uh, here, we you said that there was gonna be some disclosure of how awful we are. That's that's mine, people. <laughs> is that when my children hurt themselves, I tend I just to laugh laugh. a little bit. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. So so bad. So so does this does this help at all in terms of like, you know, making decisions, capitalism, or relationship <laughs> to money? I mean, this is a pretty big conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's just the constantly, it's like not letting yourself get caught up in that habitual thinking of like, I'm not okay, I'm not okay, let me figure out how to be okay. It's like just really remembering like, I'm held, I'm taken care of, I'm part of the system, I belong here.
0: Totally. And also though, you know, and and this is, people, it's very common right now, I think, to say, you know, that any version of placing emphasis back on the individual is victim shaming. And I, you know, I can be canceled because anybody who wants to cancel me go for it. <laughs> but I vehemently disagree with that because, this is this is the oh, essence of shamanic practice is you have to learn to take responsibility for yourself. Yes. And that does not mean we do not also hold people accountable for actions or behaviors that are not okay with us. But we do not perpetuate a story of how we are being wronged and expect to get a different circumstance, right? right. There has to be, like going back to this meme, all of those things are true. But if you keep telling yourself those things, what is going to be the outcome, right?
1: You gonna change? mm, Yeah, probably not. It's just like, oh well, I know this now. I know, and it's like, oh, something outside of me is doing it.
0: Yes, exactly. So one of the most subversive and like invasive tools of capitalism is sometimes social justice quite honestly where it's like oh here blame this for what's happening it's it's still externalizing stuff right and Mm -hmm. I know this is tricky because yes there are things that need to be addressed but we have to balance it with a certain amount of an adequate amount of inner self-reflection in order for Mm -hmm. that to be a healthy process otherwise it will yet be another thing where we go you know, something outside of me is responsible for my happiness and my sense of self and my belonging and, you know, mm-hmm. everything I really truly want in this world, right? So oh, yeah. if we're willing to say, okay, the system, the system is messed. Yes, we need to pay attention to that. I am not discrediting that certain things, a lot of things need to change. But to ask the question of what is this benefiting in me or or what benefit am I gaining from it as well? And what need is being fulfilled? And there's going to be something there if we're willing to sit with it, right? And it Mm -hmm. it will be a need that we can then say, okay, how do I meet this in a healthy way and extract myself more fully from the system so that I am not giving it my life energy and attention and everything else, right? The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the northern Suquemek people. All music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is.